scripture reading this morning before John's lesson will come from the book of Matthew. I'll be reading chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. It's Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. And as our Lord declares, come to me all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In Isaiah chapter 55 and verse number eight, our Lord declared this and said this to the children of Israel. He said, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. In the previous verse, the Lord's thoughts had been contrasted or are being contrasted to the the thoughts and the ways of the wicked among the people of Israel. God is not telling believers that that his ways are are altogether uh, so high and lofty that we are are incapable of, of thinking or understanding his thoughts and ways, but rather he is telling unbelievers that his thoughts and ways are superior to the evil thoughts and ways of the world. He implores them, and by, by default, by nature, also implores us today to abandon evil thoughts, to abandon the ways of the world, to abandon those things of the world, and to turn our ways, to turn our eyes, to turn our thoughts upon him. The idea is that God called those people in that day And as I said, I would argue again for for us today as well, to see as God sees, to see the way that he sees the world. I would submit to you this morning that, that seeing the world through God's eyes can sometimes to us seem paradoxical. It can sometimes seem to us paradoxical. Oxford defines a paradox as a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated, that when looked into a little bit deeper and explained, may be proven to actually be true. Some examples as you think about paradox, sometimes we, we've heard the phrase, you need to save money by spending money, right? I'll, I'll let you economists figure that one out, but, but we understand it doesn't make sense, but maybe in some cases, as you dig into that a little deeper, there's some truth to that. Or, or the phrase, if I know one thing, it's that I know nothing. Or, or the phrase, this is the beginning of the end. Oftentimes as we think about those phrases, we classify them under the idea of being a paradoxical phrase or a paradoxical idea that on the surface seems maybe that it doesn't make sense or it doesn't add up, but when when we dig in a little deeper, there's some truth to that statement. I would submit to you this morning that, that when considered on the surface, sometimes some of Jesus's teachings may seem to be contradictory or backwards, at least in the way that we are used to thinking about things because of the world's influences on our life. And so this morning, when we further investigate some of those statements of Jesus, I want us to see that that they might be considered paradoxical in nature, that though they may be in some way on the onset, self-contradictory or or something that doesn't make sense, when we dig in a little bit deeper, we find that there is true 
truth and meaning and value and correctness in those statements. Consider with me three paradoxes this morning of Jesus's teachings, and the lesson will be yours. Number one, consider paradox number one. Adding a burden means easing burdens. Adding a burden means easing burdens. That is, following Jesus means adding a burden in order to lessen the rest of our burdens. Jesus says, as Brother Will read a moment ago, take my yoke upon you and you will find rest unto your souls. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. You already have these burdens. You already have these things that are being laden, that, that, that cause you to feel laden. And, I, and he says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It may be the case this morning that Jesus is speaking directly to you when he says, come to me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden. It may be the case that, that there are an untold number of things that are burdening your mind, that, that cause you to feel heavy laden. Maybe it is anxiety and worry about sickness and death. Maybe it's concern about the things that are going on in the world, not the least of which that are happening in Ukraine because you feel sympathy and, and terribly for people that are dealing with various conflicts in the world. Maybe it's relationships that are causing you to feel worried and, and heavy laden and wearied. Maybe it's relationships that have divisions in them between you and another individual that, that have caused anxiety in your life. Maybe disappointments. Disappointments in your life that are due to you failing in some regard. Maybe you've never reached up to the dreams that you've had in your life and the things that you wished that you would have accomplished. And so in some way, you feel like a failure. You feel like someone who is weary, that, that is laboring, that is heavy laden. Maybe it's just the cares of the world. The rat race, as it's sometimes called in general, that is that sometimes the, the never-ending bills that land on your, on your desk, that, that you're always having to, to meet certain deadlines and meet certain criteria, and that you feel like these things are constantly overwhelming you each and every day. What about the well-being of your children? Both their physical well-being, but also their emotional well-being and, and their spiritual well-being and their mental well-being. But even above all of these, perhaps none greater than the burden, the anxiety of sin and of guilt. Put yourself in the shoes of a first century Jew that is listening to Jesus say these words on the screen. To the first century Jew, this phrase, it would have been something that stood out in their minds that was a way of life that starkly contrasted with the legalistic way of life that was driven by the Pharisees. That is, the first century Jew, Jew may, may have never felt at peace because of the heavy burdens that were placed on their shoulders by the Pharisees. That is, Jesus said that the Pharisees, they bound heavy burdens that were hard to bear and they laid them on men's shoulders. Not talking about the, the law necessarily, only the law, but also on top of that, the traditions of men that were bound upon the shoulders of the Jews in that day oppressive laws and regulations that were not bound by God, that were not expected by God, but were placed upon the shoulders of the Jews by the Jewish elite. 
But in fact, it's also the fact that, that Paul calls the law a yoke. Just the fact that the law itself is a yoke, a burden. The, the fact that the law never could take away sins. It only, when the, the sacrifices could only cover sins for a period of time. But over and over again, every year, these sacrifices had to be offered. And so you can imagine how these Jews naturally would have felt that always there was this cloud of guilt some, in some way lingering over their, over their minds and over their heads. These poor people would have been living in constant fear, constant uncertainty, especially because of the Pharisees and the fact that they thought maybe they could never live up and they were always trying to meet certain criteria and things and they could never get it all just right. And they had to worry about whether or not they were in a right relationship with God. And so for the faint of heart, the people in that day, for Jesus to say these words... Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For the faint of heart, that yoke of Jesus was one that provided the rest and comfort and peace that perhaps they'd never had before in their life. The yoke of Jesus was one that promised protection and hope. The yoke of Jesus was one that didn't stifle or or diminish, but rather it helped them to thrive and flourish. That same yoke is available to you and I today. It's available to us this morning. All you have to do is accept that yoke, to pick it up, to take it on your shoulders. And even though you are picking up another yoke to put on your shoulders, suddenly all of the other burdens are eased. Isn't it interesting, paradoxical to think about the fact that that yoke that Jesus says, take it upon you, the yoke, by definition, when we think about a yoke, its purpose is to cause us to carry extra weight, perhaps like an oxen pulling something behind him. But as we think about taking upon the yoke of Jesus, it's something altogether different, that when we bear his yoke, and when we take it upon our shoulders, we find rest. Now, that doesn't mean that being a Christian is always going to be easy and without difficulty. Paul promises in first, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 12 that all those who live godly will suffer persecution. Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow him, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Jesus says that the way of of a Christian, the way of following Christ, it is difficult and there are few that will find it. Matthew chapter 7, verse 14. But as one writer said, he said, life with God is not immunity from difficulties. It's not immunity from the burdens, but rather peace within difficulties or peace despite the difficulties that we have. Sadly, to, to many today. In the 21st century today, the expectations are looked at, the yoke of Jesus is looked at as a heavy burden. Not a burden that gives us rest, unfortunately, but as a burden that limits, that restricts, that that prevents me from doing what I want to do, that that doesn't allow me to do the things that I desire, that I wish, and that's how Jesus' yoke is looked at by the world. That's the normal way of thinking as the world would see it. But Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and you will find rest. 
the great paradox of Jesus' yoke is that though there are expectations, and there are, that though there are expectations and, and criteria that we need to follow and, and obey and be obedient toward, when we take upon this yoke, the cares of this world are alleviated. It's not to say that we're not going to still deal with fear and anxiety and, and things that we're worried about and concerned about, but in the big picture, the grand scheme of things, no longer do we worry, do we have anxiety about the end, about death, because when we are in Christ, when we have taken upon his yoke, upon us, that no longer do we fear what comes after this life, but rather we look to it with anticipation, with comfort and hope, and knowing that the eternal that is going to be is far greater than what we are experiencing now. But not only that, the disappointments due to failures. The world says, you need to have this amount of money, you need to have this large of a house, you need to have this size of a 401k in order for you to be successful. But Jesus says, if you'll just learn from me, if you'll just be like I am, and notice that I am gentle and lowly in heart, and, and if you just take upon yourself my yoke, you will be what I have called you to be. You will be the kind of, of person that I want you to be, and that's all that I want you to be. Sometimes we tell our young people, and it's the truth, a successful life is a life that gets me to heaven. Successful life is a life that gets me to heaven. And I'm not living that way so that I can get to heaven in the sense that that's my only goal, that's my only aspiration, but primarily that I want to bring glory to God. But a life that brings glory to God, a life that takes upon itself the yoke of Jesus is a life that is more concerned about spiritual things. A life that is more concerned about the things of Christ and not the things of the world. Let's dive in a little bit deeper Let's, let's think about how do we take upon Jesus' yoke? What does that look like? Consider with me number two, the second paradox this morning. Losing means finding. Losing means finding. In Jesus' kingdom, losing your life means finding your life. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 25, Jesus says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The sad reality is that, that many have sought to save their lives in many different places, in money, in happiness, in, in fame, and pleasure. The devil has sold us this bill of goods that, that a successful life is one that has earned enough money for pleasure, that, that earns enough for comfortable retirement, that, that has enough to, to pass on a, a hefty inheritance to our descendants. But as we think about it, Jesus argues in verse 26, the next verse right immediately after this, Jesus says, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Consider with me Paul, a man who lost his life, but found his life. Paul, who, as we think about him, the Pharisee, the one who was circumcised the eighth day, a Jew of all Jews, sat at the feet of Gamaliel, was of the stock of Benjamin, was someone who was a ruler, had a great position among the Jewish people. He gave all of that up to follow Jesus. He gave all of that pomp and prestige and, and clout and status to follow Jesus. And he says these words in Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. 
He says, for I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. Now notice a paradoxical statement. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me in the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. What about Romans chapter 6, verse number 18, in which Paul, speaking to the, to the Romans, says, having been set, from free, set free from sin, you, and I would argue that he would include himself in this, we, I, become a slave of righteousness. How about another paradoxical idea, this, this life of Paul, a man who says, I've been crucified with Christ, yet I live. It's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then he says, I have been set free from sin, but now I am a slave of righteousness. Backwards to the way of the world, backwards to the thinking of the world, different than what the world would teach. The great paradox of Jesus' statement is that the one who allows his life on earth to be used for the sake of Christ and his church will find life, both here in this life and in eternity. This paradoxical statement can only make sense, can only make sense when we look with spiritual eyes, when we see with spiritual eyes, because if we look with physical and carnal eyes, with fleshly eyes, it doesn't make any sense at all. The idea here is that when we become followers of Christ, when we become a Christian, when we wear the name or the the title Christian, it's not just something we identify as, but it's who we truly are at our core. You think about, you've probably heard the phrase in politics of, of Republicans in name only, right? Rhinos, Republicans in name only. I don't know if there's a Democrat version of that, but I think there's a lot of young, young boys that would probably like that to, to wear that name, Dino, right? D- Democrats in name only. But I, but I asked you this morning, are you a Christian in name only? Or have you lost your life to the point that, that you have truly found your life in Christ? Go back to the question, the great question that Jesus asked in verse 26 of Matthew 16. He says, for what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? The question that we all need to ask ourselves is this, am I truly living my life in a way that is consistent with God's ways? Going back to Isaiah 55 as we opened this morning. Are my ways God's ways or am I living in a way that says I'm living like the ways of the world? That says I'm gonna gain the world because now's my chance. Or am I living as Romans chapter 12, verse one and two says, as my life being a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice for the sake of Christ. But how do I do this? How do, how do I truly make sure that I'm living in this way? Consider our third paradox and our final paradox this morning. Last is first. Last is first. Consider Mark chapter nine, verse 35. And he sat down and he called the 12 and said to them, if anyone desires to be first, He shall be last of all and servant of all. This one, when I think about sermon illustrations as we're preparing our lessons, right, we we try to think about ways to illustrate things and and try to bring them to light in a different way. And when I think about this one, I can't help but think about my children and oftentimes in this stage of life, there's all kinds of sermon illustrations that come about. But, But right now, I think about my children because it's always a race 
It's always the race to be the first, to be the one that, that does it first, right? To, I guess to punch in the door code to get into the house. The one that's first to, to get his seatbelt buckled or her seatbelt buckled first. Uh, Daddy, I was first. I was first. Yesterday was, was Jackson and Trey. They're playing basketball together. It was their, it was their championship game in, in basketball. And they're five years old. Uh, and Tyler and I were, were coaching together. But believe me, we were playing to win the game. We were playing to win. And, and we won. We, we were the champions. But, but as you think about it, right, that's what our whole world is about. It's about being first. It's about coming in first. It's about being the preeminent one and, and being the one who, who has the clout, that has the position, the norm for the kingdoms of the world is that the one who is preeminent, the one that holds that position, the one that holds that power, they get to wield that power. That's just how it works in the world. They're the ones that, that have the most servants that do their bidding. And it's only natural, so the world believes, that if I have the power to exercise, then I must exercise it over those that are, that are powerless. Jesus recognized this when he said that the kings of the Gentiles lord over them. The world says, if you're not first, you're last. But Jesus says, anyone who wants to be first in my kingdom must put themselves last. Christ's kingdom, in a way, is, is an inverted pyramid. Some have called it an upside-down kingdom. Whereas normally the one reclining at the table, Jesus says, has the one serving him. And, and normally the one serving him is less than or is not as, not as good as or not as high as the one being served. But Jesus says, not so in my kingdom. In, in Jesus' kingdom, the one that does the serving, the one that, that stoops down and serves others is first, is in the preeminent place. Now, we're not doing that so that we get to be in the preeminent place, but that's the way that it works in Christ's kingdom. Jesus forever established this inverted pyramid idea when he said, I am among you as the one who serves. Luke chapter 22, verse 27. I am among you as the one who serves. And that further cements, as we said, this idea of this upside down kingdom, the inverted pyramid that says that Jesus, though he is our Lord, though he is our head, the head of the church, he finds himself at the bottom of the pyramid as the one who serves us. Though we are inferior to him, he serves us. And so it's with this framework that helps us to understand other verses that seem maybe paradoxical to us. Think about 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 10, where Paul says, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Think about Acts chapter 20, verse 35. Paul said, remember the words of our Lord Jesus in which he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Or Matthew chapter 23 and verse number 12, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but who, he who humbles himself will be exalted. Or Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 and 4, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each of you consider others better than himself. Let each of you look not only after your own things, but also on the interests of others. All of these statements, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 10, Acts chapter 20 verse 35, Matthew chapter 23 verse 12, Philippians chapter 2 verses 2 and 3, 3, uh, 3 and 4, all of these verses to the world's eyes make no sense. 
What do you mean it's more blessed to give than to receive? What do you mean I need to put others ahead of myself? What do you mean that I, I can embrace sufferings and persecution? That, that makes no sense, but when we look deeper, when we see with spiritual eyes, when our ways are God's ways, when our, our thoughts are like God's thoughts, it truly makes sense. It adds up. We might call this God's economy. That's how it works in God's kingdom. God's economy is this, that when we embrace infirmities and distresses and persecutions, that we look like Jesus, that we are preeminent, not preeminent for the sake of getting glory, but that's what the kingdom is about. In God's economy, giving is more desired than receiving. In God's economy, you don't earn your keep by, by drawing attention to yourself. Rather, God does the exalting of you. As we conclude this morning, I want us to think about this. There is paradox in the very life of Christ. Paradox in the very life of Christ. And by that I mean, Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse number 10, I came to die that they may have life and have it abundantly. The paradox in the life of Christ is that in his death is life. Now we look at this in a, spirit, in a physical sense, in the, in the sense that yes, in a way, it could have been said that we deserve to die the type of death that Jesus died because of our sin, that he's going to the cross, that, that we should have been punished for, for our wrongdoings, but, but even greater than that in the spiritual sense, that in the death of Christ, we find spiritual life. I'd ask you this morning, it, have you found spiritual life by losing your life for the sake of Christ and taking on Christ's yoke and being someone that no longer seeks to put yourself first, but seeks to put the kingdom first. Because if you are, you ought to be living this paradox in your own life. The paradox in the life of Christian is as Paul said in Philippians chapter one, verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That is death in Christ is gain. That when I live my life now, it's all about Christ, but even if I die, it's gain. It's gain. Are you living that way this morning? Are you someone that has truly made your life about Jesus? Are you someone that is just a Christian in name only, or are you someone that has taken Jesus' yoke upon you? Are you someone that has made yourself least of all and servant of all? If you're not a Christian, we would invite you to, to make that decision this morning. We would love to share with you the gospel plan of salvation, to baptize you for the remission of your sins, but maybe you are, are a Christian this morning, and maybe you would like to more, more purposefully dedicate your life to being someone who truly is invested the way we've talked about this morning, whatever your need is, we ask that you come as together we stand and as we